Welcome to another episode of A Gift from Adversity. I'm really happy to be here today. And then my friend Rachel decided to come and then share the story. So before we get started, I am going to tell you why I started this show called A Gift from Adversity. And this is my book called A Gift from Adversity which I talked about overcoming sexual abuse, domestic violence, bullying, and homelessness. And I published this book in 2020, and it took me about five years from the concept to realization. And since I published my book, I've gotten a lot of messages from all over the world. And people who are going through crisis and have been sexually abused, they really said this book kind of inspired them. So I just wanted to you know, tour and then share my story, but then pandemic hit and then I couldn't do that. So I've been wanting to do this show, A Gift from Adversity, to share specifically about adversity and how people overcome them. And then to share the tips and tools that to empower, empower other people. So, and also I've been interviewed by many podcasters, different platforms. And by speaking about my adversity, it kind of healed me. So I want to create a space, safe space that people, guests can talk about their hardship and adversity. So let's introduce Rachel to our show. Rachel, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. It's an honor. Thank you. So if you can tell your full name, and what you do before we go into our main talk, topic about adversity. That'll be great. Okay. I'm Rachel Seabode and I own a children's theater company slash dance studio. I'm also a per diem pharmacy technician at a hospital and a mother and a wife. <laughs> great. So before we go into the um, topic about adversity, what have you done as an actor, dancer? Can you tell our audience a little bit? Um, yes, I was very fortunate to work in a dinner theater in Jacksonville, Florida, um, where I was accruing equity points. Um, my love is musical theater. Being on the stage was always my home. And um, it was also a positive escape for me um, when dealing with my adversity. And I'll tell you about that more later. But musical theater is very special and, and dance, and um, they've really shaped who I am as a person. Great. So I just want to tell people this is Facebook Live and then YouTube Live. And later on, I am going to put this audio to a podcast on anchor.fm and Spotify. So when people are on live right now you can type some comment um go ahead and ask some questions uh to rachel to me and um there should be a chat somewhere that you can type so anyways um let's really talk about spend time about your adversity so what was your adversity my adversity was growing up um with a mother who was mentally ill for a large part of my 
younger, early teenage years, um, the crucial points in, in development and um, just the challenges that came with having a, a mother who was mentally ill for such a long period of time. So growing up, um, how did you notice that there was something going on? Well, she had an episode. It was um, winter of 1992. And I was, I should have calculated, I was young, 12, right? 12, 13, 14. Anyway, um, we were at a charity basketball game and my dad was playing in the basketball game and she passed out. And we were sitting in the bleachers, so it was a little nerve-wracking. The two people next to her kind of caught her so that um, she didn't, you know, fall to the ground or anything. Um, they got her out of the gymnasium. She was able to walk, you know, and they held on to her. And then out in the hallway, she fainted again. And I'm pretty sure someone had already called 911 at that point. But... Um, she fainted again. She woke up again. And then I just remember her being whisked away, you know, to the hospital to get evaluated. Um, we were thinking, I don't even know what we were thinking. It was so out of the blue, out of left field. You know, she had been fine and happy and jovial and, you know, um, to me anyway, she had seemed perfectly uh, normal before she had passed out. So my younger sister and I go and spend the night with friends and my dad goes to the hospital and he gets her settled and they're going to run blood tests and whatever, whatever. So the following day, um, we didn't know what had happened, but my dad had come the next day with my mom, but we didn't know at five or four early in the morning hours, she pulled out her IVs and left the hospital. She was roaming around um, the town where we live, and um, I don't know who told my dad. I think he had called the hospital to check on her when he got up, maybe, and they said, oh, she's, she's not here. And <clears throat> so, long story short, the police were involved. My dad found her, and they came to pick us up. And they came to the door and there was something that was different. She just um, was glazed over. And I said, you know, hi, mom, are you okay? And she got this look on her face. What do you mean am I okay? Well, well you, you passed out last night, you know. Um, and this, that from that day on began this horrible cycle of paranoia, depression, anxiety, psychosis. Um, I really feel like she was pretty much diagnosed with everything you can be. Um, my dad had took her to various doctors, um, tried to get her on medication. My dad was a pharmacist. Um, third generation and owned his own pharmacy and would fill the prescriptions and bring them home and she would flush them. 
because they weren't real. He was trying to poison her. He was, you know, out to get her. Um, she trusted no one. I mean, absolutely no one. Um, my uncle tried her, um, brother, her older brother. Um, you know, he tried to talk with her, reason with her. Um, you know, Junie, we don't want to see you like this. Just her truth was her truth. And there was no one who was going to tell her different. So that was really hard. You never, you never knew also what you were in for, so to speak, um, whether she had had a rough morning or, you know, you came home from school, what's she going to be doing? Is she going to lash out? Is she going to say something embarrassing? Um, there was one time when she happened or supposedly she was taking her medication and she had my younger sister and her friend in the car and she got into a car accident. Luckily, everyone was okay, but she ran a light. She completely ran a red light. She blamed on the medication she was taking. Um, but I can't say whether or not she was taking it because that was always an issue, getting her to take her medicine. Um, it didn't get easier or better. And things finally came to a head and unfortunately it was very hard to have someone committed in the state of New York because they could just sign themselves out, say, I'm okay. This person, there's a lot of legalities. Um, if she was suicidal, then we could sign her in and say, she's a harm to herself. Please, you know, help us. But it was just a constant struggle and a constant worry. And you never knew what was going to happen next. Um, she did have some breakthrough with the ECT shock therapy. She did about, I'm going to say 10 to 15 rounds of that. Um, and it gave her headaches, but it was making her think clearer. She was definitely acting more like herself. Um, I finally felt like a glimmer of hope because it was really such a drastic change from what I was used to that I said, oh my God, something finally worked. Well, she relapsed because she wasn't following through and taking her medicine because um, even after the ECT, she was going back monthly for some shot. And then it was like, well, you have to take, okay, now we're down to where you have to just take this pill and this pill and you're going to be okay. And she didn't do that because she was feeling fine. She was good. You know, she didn't think that, that she needed it because she felt fine. So it was like a vicious cycle. So then we go back and she got I think the next time she got double the amount of ECT shock therapy because they thought maybe if they did more at a longer duration, it would, um, it would carry through. It would stick, so to speak. And then they continued the one month shots. I feel like for a longer duration, right? So they didn't just say, okay, we're doing these one month shots for a couple months and then you have to take pills. Um, it also worked again. And unfortunately, 
she relapsed again. And at that point, everyone was pretty exhausted. Um, at that point, I was also going away to college. And I figured, you know what, I'm going to be away from it. It's going to be somebody else's problem. But really, at the end of the day, it's still my mother. And regardless if I'm there or if I'm across the state in Buffalo, you know, you still worry. Um, it's still taxing on your heart. My sister was still there because um, she was four years younger than me. So she was still living at home and dealing with it all and, and seeing it all. And just um, I feel like she got the brunt of it. For sure. Um, but it just, you know, it was so frustrating at times too, because you're like, mom, all you have to do is take these meds. You'll feel fine. I, I promise they're not going to hurt you. They're not, um, you know, and I'm her own kid telling her this, but she just wouldn't give up on her reality, which was a total you know, um, horrible way to live just in paranoia and psychosis. And, you know, there were times she was hallucinating, seeing people outside on the lawn at like four in the morning, she wasn't sleeping. Um, it just was so taxing. And at the end of the day, as we know, or maybe some of you don't know, <laughs> mental health is taxing on your physical health too. I mean, you can't, um, your body is one unit and your mental health is just as important as your physical health. And I think that's sometimes hard for people to see because it's not an open wound bleeding. It's not, um, it's not as visible a lot of times. Well, Rachel, it's a lot to digest and, these words that you shared with us today, it's really unimaginable that somebody who lived with that dynamic and especially somebody who's supposed to be taking care of you, now you become caretaker of her. So the role switches at young age. Yes. And you kind of lose the youth that's supposed to be you know, there. But unfortunately, these kind of things happen. So now I really appreciate you being brave and sharing this story that is really not absolutely easy to tell, especially talking about your mom. So my father in Japan, just a little bit, was very, very abusive, verbally, sexually, physically, emotionally, everything. But I don't think the mental health education was there when I was growing up in Japan. Mm, yeah. And I really think after I came to America and I started to talk about it with the therapist and then she thinks maybe he had narcissistic or like maybe bipolar, I have no idea. Mm -hmm. was never named, but I was victim of it. And I was never able to figure it out because he's supposed to be taking care of me. But instead he was using me. Now that kind of child development and psychology affected me as an adult. So now you are an adult, your mom, having this business, being an actress. We actually met on the set. 
So how is it affecting you now having that adversity when you are a child? It definitely makes me have a softer heart for people who fight through mental illness. Um, I, when I first got my job at the hospital at Glens Falls Hospital in New York, um, we used to have uh, units that we were all um, assigned to and nobody wanted the MHU, the mental health unit. And I said, and by assigned to, we had to check expiration dates of drugs. And I said, I'll take the MHU. I want that. And, you know, if I went down there and connected with one person or smiled at one person in the unit or listened to one person's story, um, I felt like, you know what? Um, I'd given a little bit back because I think they, you know, they truly can't help it. A lot of them most of them, they don't want this for themselves. You know, it's, it's, you really wrestle with it. Cause you're like, Oh my God, this person's crazy, but really they're a human being just like everybody else. And you know, they're not always easy to deal with people who are mentally ill, obviously, but I just think that if more people had a little bit of compassion. So when I said, I'll take the mental health unit and do the monthly expiration um, you know, check the expiration date on drugs. I really tried to, even if it was just to smile at somebody and say good morning or good afternoon, um, they're real people. And I think that um, it was a reminder, you know, I'm on that unit and I'm thinking about my mom and, you know, she was in hospitals a lot numerous hospitals and she just you know it's sad the staff and the people that work in those mental health units try i mean they try the best that they can but um it's it sometimes feels like you just feel defeated you know yeah so well thank you so much for sharing that now i want to talk about what kind of tools or strategies or something tangible that you had used to overcome that adversity that you can share with our listeners? I felt like my um, escape was dancing. And I was lucky enough that even though my mom was sick and my dad was running her, you know, to all these appointments and hospitals and um, that I could still make it to dance class because being there, I was home. Being there, I kind of lost myself in what I was doing and honestly would really kind of just forget about, you know, what I, what had happened that day with my mom. If I didn't have that dance in that studio and that beautiful Miss Renee, my dance teacher, who I will do a shout out to, um, I don't, I don't know what what would have happened so i feel really lucky about that um and then i went on to major in theater and dance in college i just i love it so much it meant so much to me so that was kind of how i escaped my adversity you know what i mean and got away from it so i don't know who's listening to us or in the future who's going to listen to this episode, but, you know, 
as somebody who grew up with this environment and then used the dance, do you recommend maybe like I don't know, like teenager or younger generation who are affected by this same problem that parents are mentally um ill that um well you have you found dance, but do you have any other suggestion maybe as somebody that overcame? Yeah, I would say, I mean, I have a suggestion of what not to do. Okay. <laughs> you know, I think you have to stay active. You have to find something that you're passionate about, whether it be sewing or karate or dance or singing or writing poetry. Like, for me, it's a creative outlet. And I think a lot of people um, could benefit if they would channel that um, energy toward a creative outlet. I think people don't give themselves enough credit um, as far as the arts go. Oh, no, no, I'm not a singer. I'm not an actor. I'm not a this. I'm not. But then like you meet people and you talk to them and you're like, you're a character. How are you not? You know what I mean? How are you not that? So I would say to the youth, don't stop moving. Right. Keep keep moving. Whatever you do really immerse yourself in i mean pottery whatever it is because i think that'll save you i do so echoing to that rachel i started a nonprofit when i was 26 years old and around 12 years and then we were teaching music to juvenile offenders in the dca department of youth services and then department of children and families so we've met a lot of gangs in dys and we've met a lot of kids who are dealing with a lot of stuff and you know music i thought would be an escape even for like an hour or like mm -hmm. you know piano or producing especially to escape so whether it's filmmaking or music making like i just wanted to create a space that mentally that you can escape they were, you know, locked up, couldn't go anywhere. However, I just kind of wanted to create that space in their head. And I really, um, as a survivor of child sex abuse, my dad um, can say, like you, I cannot dance, <laughs> but I play piano professionally. And then I've been playing piano since four. And then piano was always an oasis to me. Yeah, and it spoke to me in a way that now I'm 45, but when I improvise, when I feel sad or can't put everything into words, I just play piano and improvise and go on Facebook. Like. <laughs> so anyways, so do you feel that way sometimes if you feel something that you cannot express so that you could communicate with your body, dancing, singing? Yeah. Right. Yeah, there's definitely been times when I've been in the studio by myself and I'll turn on my phone and and dance it out. Yeah, for sure. I 100% agree with you. Yep. Singing did that for me a lot um, as well. Um, when I was in high school, I, I was singing a lot. And even in college, you know, singing, 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 singing. So it wow. is it, it's it's a way of expressing and it is it can be very therapeutic yes absolutely mm -hmm. and also i just want to share with you and our audience that um i'm divorced twice and then when i got divorced um 
in 2019, we were mandated to take divorce parenting class. And one of the class um, topic was how important it is to take the kids to these activities and have a routine. And then there are uh, statistics that after the parents divorce and kids maybe fail socially or academically, and there are percentage of kids who thrive still even after the divorce. And then what made them separated was the routine. So however, it's so hard to keep that routine for your case, your caretaker wasn't weren't there for you. But then you kept yourself going, having this routine, going to the dance class, doing the musical theater. Mm-hmm. And it requires your time management, discipline, all that stuff. For sure. I just wanted to share it with you what validates you and separates you from going through adversity is having something that you can anchor on to have a daily routine and, you know, just rely on that. Yes, for sure. Yep. So do you have any website that you want to tell people um, to come to your studio, see your maybe Oh, yeah. Yeah. I have um, my children's theater company is at www.broadwayupstate.com. And we're hoping our next production is supposed to be Frozen Junior in August. Um, So fingers crossed we can do this show. Broadway Upstate, New York. Just.com. Yep. Broadwayupstate.com. You got it. Got it. So people can visit broadwayupstate.com. And I have um, Barry. I hope Rachel's anchor was for that. I have a comment here. It's my father. Oh, is that your dad? <laughs> Hi, Barry. <laughs> Thank you so much for tuning in. Was your dad your anchor? He was a good anchor, yeah. Oh. I mean, he kept it together. He was working full time. <sighs> yeah, I don't even know how he did it. Well, Barry, shout out to you for putting everything in order and you know, doing your full-time job and, you know, being this um, amazing anchor to Rachel's life. So I want to wrap up our show, A Gift from Adversity, by talking about the last question, which is a gift. So what did you learn or what do you think a gift that came from these adversities? Um, A gift... I think from this was to take care of your mind, take care of your mental health. Honestly, um, a gift that I've learned, yes, is to, when I'm not feeling right, I'm going to tell somebody. Um, I've been in and out of therapy for years and years and years. I don't want to talk about it anymore per se to just somebody. Um, but I'm happy to help anyone who struggles with mental health issues. Um, 
I've been there for students before. I welcome people to reach out if they want um, through my Broadway Upstate uh, page. Wonderful. Well, Barry commented, I am very proud of both my daughters. <laughs> yes. Thank you, Dad. Thank you, Barry. <laughs> so this is wonderful. I I just want to share with my audience about my gift um, from adversity is perspective that, you know, people don't understand having a house. I was actually homeless too, having a house, having a job, having healthy body and just, you know, dream come true life. I got on Netflix movie, Don't Look Up. <laughs> so, you know, persistency, just, you know, keep going at it. However, you know, road sometimes, like, you know, blocks you. And you're a, you always find somebody who pushes you and then who can push you and then uh, believes in you. And then I'm sure your dad was there for you too. And then maybe so was your friend. And then somebody else comment, Dorothy, Dorothy, Rachel is an extra extraordinary woman. Oh, dot Dorothy Bosford. Yeah, Bosford. Yes. Hi, Dorothy. <laughs> Hi, Dot. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you for this live comment. It's really wonderful to know that somebody is listening. Somebody's listening to us. Somebody's listening to us. <laughs> That's great. Wonderful. Yeah. yeah. So I truly, truly appreciate you um, coming to my new vision and new show, A Gift from Adversity. I love it. Thank I you. love it. And I love the book. And I think if anyone's looking for a good read, um, a different perspective, um, to pick this book up. I love it. I think it's, it's very honest and, um, it says a lot about the person that you are and it, the stuff that you've overcome is truly amazing. And I've said this to you before, but I really feel like you were a gift for me in 21 meeting you and our paths crossing because, um, it's just been wonderful getting to know you. Oh, thank you. Same You're here. Welcome. It's been yeah. such a pleasure getting to know you and then getting your support. And then, um, in the acting world, especially it's really tough and this industry is not easy and it's always a hustle and then going, going, going. But not only that, you're teaching, you have your own company and they're working full time, which is like really amazing. And then I really cherish our friendship. <laughs> so anyways, well, thank you everyone again for uh, tuning into our uh, interview. Dorothy said hello. <laughs> yes. Well, next guest I have um Ethan Rogers, and then he fought in Afghanistan. He's a veteran, but now he's an actor. And then he was one of the lead characters that I went to screening for. And he's going to talk about his mental health, which actually kind of echoed with you that a mental health issue, people cannot see it because it's not like cut, like wood. So he's going to share that story with us on coming Sunday. Oh, nice. 
All right. Well, thank you again, everyone, and have a wonderful weekend. Thank you.